Welcome to Unit 8, which is um, basically the Cold War and decolonization. We're going to start with setting the stage, which is basically an overview, giving you the context of what this unit is going to be about. The essential question, what was the historical context for the Cold War after World War II? After the global conflict in World War II, the largely unfulfilled hopes for colonial self-government after World War I were finally revived. Colonies' desire for independence became intertwined with a global ideological conflict between capitalist countries led by the U.S. and communist countries led by the Soviet Union, bringing the war to an end. During World War II, the leaders of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, and the leaders of the United States and the Soviet Union, known as the Big Three, held several meetings to plan the post-war world. Two of these were particularly important. The first meeting was Yalta. By February of 1945, the Allies knew that Germany was near defeat, but they disagreed about what what should happen uh, after Germany's surrender. At the Yalta Conference at a resort on the Black Sea, the leaders focused on plans for reconstructing Eastern Europe and for defeating Japan. Hint, this is just like the Paris Peace Conference at the end of World War I. Okay, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt wanted this, free democratic elections in Eastern Europe, and he also wanted the Soviets to join the war against Japan, because remember, that's not done. The Soviet Premier Stalin, he demanded influence over Eastern Europe, fearful that another Napoleon or Hitler would invade Russia from the West. He wanted Eastern Europe as what's known as a buffer zone, you know, like an area to separate you. In return for Soviet help against Japan, he wanted control of islands claimed by Japan, ports ruled by China, and part ownership of a Manchurian railroad. Roosevelt thought that after years of overseas wars, the American public was unlikely to support a war against the Soviets over the fate of democracy in Eastern Europe. Conference ended with a Soviet pledge to fight Japan, unfulfilled, but the Soviets offered only vague assurances on free democratic elections in Eastern Europe. And then the Potsdam Conference. Final meeting among the leaders of the Big Three, the Potsdam Conference began in July 1945 in Germany. Harry Truman, who had become president after Roosevelt died on April 12th, represented the U.S. Truman insisted on free elections in Eastern Europe. However, by then, Soviet troops had occupied the region. Stalin refused Truman's demand. With the backing of Soviet power, communists eventually gained control of East Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Romania, all of Eastern Europe. By 1945, the United States and the Soviet Union lacked trust in one another and had begun the aggressive rhetoric speeches that would become standard for the next four decades following World War II. Delta and Potsdam failed to settle important issues between the world's major powers. As a result, the stage was set for what's known as a Cold War between the countries that were still devastated by a hot war. Hot war means you're actually fighting each other, okay? Shifting balance of power. When the war ended in 1945, parts of Europe and Asia had been devastated. The war resulted in 40 to 60 million deaths. It destroyed factories, roads, bridges, and other structures needed for industrial production. It forced millions of people to move. Many were fleeing communism or searching for safety and opportunity. So let's start with the Europe. Massive destruction. Wartime losses were not evenly distributed throughout Europe. In fact, East and Central Europe suffered greater losses than did Western Europe. Worst hit were the Soviet Union, Poland, and Germany. Each lost between 10 and 20% of its population. Countries such as Great Britain and France, despite their losses, maintained strong traditions of democracy and rule of law. They still had strong educational systems, including outstanding universities. They remain uh, home to large innovation, innovative corporations. These advantages provided the foundation for Western Europe to become a global leader after the war. However, because of the massive physical destruction in population 
loss in victorious and defeated nations, Europe became less influential overall and powerful in the rest of the world, while the United States and the Soviet Union became more powerful. All right, the U.S.-Soviet rivalry. In 1945, then, the United States was poised to become the most powerful country in the world. Of all the major countries involved in the war, the U.S. suffered the least. Heavy fighting occurred uh, occurred on the U.S. soil in the Philippines, but the U.S. mainland was untouched by attacks. Its industrial base and infrastructure not only remained intact, but also grew stronger through government-funded military contracts. Further, the loss of life in the U.S. was far lower than in Europe. The relative prosperity of the United States allowed it to provide financial aid to European countries after the war. This aid program called the Marshall Plan is described in Topic 8.2, so you'll hear about it next time. The U.S. also developed atomic weapons and used them during the war, making the country even more formidable. The Soviets successfully tested an atomic bomb of their own in 1949, spying made that possible. By the end of the 1940s, only the U.S. could challenge the, uh, sorry, only the Soviet Union could challenge the U.S. in military might and political influence. All right, so the start of the Cold War, big subject for this um, unit. The U.S.-Soviet tensions evident at Yalta and Potsdam made conflict uh, likely. However, the high costs of the war meant that neither superpower wanted a full-scale war with the other. Rather, they settled into what's known as a Cold War, which is a conflict that does not involve direct military confrontation between two or more rival states. The Cold War between superpowers played out in propaganda campaigns, secret operations, and an arms race, meaning building weapons. The deadly result of the Cold War occurred outside the lands of the two superpowers. The U.S.-Soviet rivalry led both countries to arm opposing sides in conflicts around the world, thereby transforming small civil wars and regional conflicts into much larger events. This increased the death tolls and level of destruction in these wars. Good examples of those are like the Vietnam War or the Korean War, where the U.S. and Soviets gave both sides weapons to fight. In the early 1950s, the U.S. and the Soviet Union each developed a hydrogen bomb that was much more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped on Japan at the end of World War II. The arms race fostered close ties between the military and industries that developed the weapons, and this is known as the military-industrial complex. Finally, breakdown of empires. After World War II, efforts resumed to undermine colonialism. The start of World War I had marked the high point of colonial empires. The British, the French, and other Europeans had colonized almost all of Africa, India, and Southeast Asia, and they dominated China. Empires based in Austria, Turkey, and Russia were multi-ethnic states, but each was dominated by one group, leaving the others to feel discriminated against. After World War I, the demand for self-determination, which is that idea that each country should choose its own form of government and leaders, was spreading. The Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Ottoman Empire crumbled, restructured into new into uh, multiple new countries. However, in China, India, and throughout Asia, or excuse me, throughout Africa, Europeans generally maintained their power, even expanding it over territories that had been part of the Ottoman Empire. Now, during World War II, the leading colonial powers focused on stopping Hitler. As a result, the anti-colonial movements probably grew stronger, but actual independence made little progress. However, after World War II, the foundation was set for the dismantling of colonial empires. First, the in the colonized world, movements for self-determination were growing. Okay, so that's the obvious. That's always been going on. Often they included both advocates of greater self-rule and proponents of full independence, guys like Gandhi. 
Okay, here are the real two reasons. World War II had so weakened Great Britain, France, and other colonial powers that they had fewer resources to resist independence. They just didn't have enough stuff to stop people anymore. And finally, the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union gave anti-colonial activists two superpowers to recruit as supporters. You want independence? Get one of those to be your friends, and it'll probably help. Make sure when you're looking at the questions, note that there's not the not just the regular video from Heimler. There's also uh, a lecture, if you want it, that kind of goes over this whole thing. And there's also a video to watch on AP Classroom. Make sure you get all of that done.